Hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Now, I don't know if you do this where you kind of go around with your family and look at Christmas lights, but I remember as a kid, uh, several times we would go around and just, you know, you drive around the neighborhood or whatever, and you look at the Christmas lights. And I remember uh, one year in particular, I was just staring out the window for just minutes on end, just kind of intently staring up at the sky when my mom looked back at me and she said, David, what are you looking at? I said, Mom, I'm trying to find the Christmas star. Because I had just com- completely convinced myself that every December 25th that the Christmas star made an appearance for all to see. And you just had to find it and follow after it, right? So this, this afternoon, what I want to do is I want to look at the actual story of the star of Christmas and the wise men. And we're going to take a look at what it actually says. So I'd love for everybody to grab a Bible, because I want you to see with your own eyes, there's Bibles in front of you, they're under your chair if you're in the front row, and I'd love for you all to turn to page 657, Uh, that's going to put us in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Now, while we read, what I want you to be able to do is to look carefully at the details of this story, because one of the things that's happened over 2,000 years, with all of our Christmas songs, and now all of our Christmas movies, there's a lot of details that we have sort of added in pop culture to this story that aren't in the original biblical history. So I want you to see if you can spot uh, some of the differences, okay? So you're just going to be on page 657. If you find the big number two, that's the beginning of the chapter, and we will go from there. Okay, here's what it says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or that's wise men, officially they're called Magi, came from the east, excuse me, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, that's the wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. All right, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way... And the star had, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so, <coughs> excuse me. We see here in the scriptures that there are these wise men that are also called by the name of Magi, and they've come from the east to come and see Jesus. But who are these guys? Who are the Magi? Well, we know from history that Magi were a priest, and in fact, they were priests from Persia, ancient Persia, which if you're not a geography person, that's kind of like a modern-day Iran, you know, into Iraq. But... They were so much more than priests. In fact, uh, these men were the leading experts in wisdom, and thus they're awful, often called wise men, right? But the official name was um, Magi. Now, they're not kings, so... <coughs> excuse me, I'm 
recovering from a cold, so I'll probably just do this all day. Um, so they, uh, you have to throw out your we three kings of Orient are, right? That, that's not who they are. They're priests. Uh, they're wise men. Notice that it never says that there were three of them. Did you catch that? We, we, I think we get that, right? Because we feel like, well, there are three gifts, right? The gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. But it's not like... It's not like Jesus had like a one gift per wise man rule, right? So it, it doesn't actually say, <coughs> oh man, that there were three of them. Uh, it's actually a lot more likely that there were more than three. In fact, uh, one of the ways that we know this is by just thinking contextually. Like if you had three powerful and rich guys with a bunch of gold going across the desert for a long time, it's not very likely. In fact, we get a clue in the passage as well in uh, verse uh, 3 that says, all of Jerusalem was disturbed at their coming. Now, if you just got three random dudes on camels coming into Jerusalem, that's probably not going to throw off the whole city. But scholars actually believe that it's actually more likely that this would have been a large group. Think like a group of 50 not like a group of three, right? Because they're wise, they're powerful, they, they're rich. So they're probably coming with their guards. They're probably coming with their servants. And now think 50 foreigners coming into a city is probably going to get the whole city going. What in the world is actually going on here? Now, I know I just ruined your entire nativity set. So I'm so sorry. You maybe just get on Amazon, start ordering, you know, add quantity to, of wise men or whatever. We also know from history that the Magi were leading experts in religion and science and astrology, which is probably one of the reasons that they noticed the star. But what was the star exactly? Now, some people say that the star possibly was because around that time in history, you know, we know that Jupiter and Saturn align. Some people say it was a comet. Some people say it was a supernova. I actually think that the most likely answer is that this is just a miraculous, a supernatural appearing of light or something resembling a star. Uh, and here, here's why I believe that, uh, especially the, the, at the end of verse 9, we get a clue. So if you have the Bible open still, would you take a look at the end of verse 9? <coughs> I know, verse 9 is exciting. Okay, here's what it says. It says that the star rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Okay, so this is not a normal star, right? It's not like you can look up and say, oh yeah, the North Star is right above my house tonight, right? It just doesn't really work like that. But even if it was a supernatural light, I think one of the questions is, how would they know to actually follow that? Like if you saw something like that in the sky, would you necessarily go, I gotta follow that, right? So what, what is behind that? Well, many biblical scholars theorize that the Magi would have had knowledge of the coming Messiah because of the influence of the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. So if you read through the Old Testament, one of the things you see is there's a very influential man named Daniel who's exiled and taken to, he's a Jewish believer, taken to Babylon, which eventually becomes conquered by Persia. And while Daniel is there, we'll told this. I'm going to read you a verse. We'll just put it on the screen from Daniel 2.48. It says this. It says, then, king, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Now, this is actually the Magi. It's the same people. It's the same sort of priestly caste. And while Daniel's in charge of the Magi, of the wise men, he would have been teaching them about his Hebrew scriptures. They might have even studied Numbers twenty-four seventeen from the Bible, which says this. 
It says a star will come out of Jacob, that's Israel, and a scepter, that means a ruler, will rise out of Israel. And while Daniel was living in this area that would eventually become Persia, he was also sharing his prophecies about when the Messiah was come, was going to come to earth. So they had an idea of when, they had an idea of what to look for. So it's possible that these people were, the wise men were able to come because of what had been passed down from Daniel. But perhaps the most amazing thing is what they do with the knowledge that they have. That is, they seek the truth. They seek God. And I want you to think deeply about this today, because I think the question for every single person in this room is, when God sends you a star, I'm talking when God sends you a sign, what do you do with it? What should you do? In fact, I want to give you three things this afternoon. Here's the very first one. When God sends you a star, number one, you want to follow even if it's unclear. Now, I think that this is easier said than done, right? Like, put yourself in the Magi's sandals, okay? Let's say that you're in Persia, right? And you've been taught the prophecies about the Messiah passed down by the Magi, right? And you believe maybe even that a new star symbolizes a new king's birth. What happens when you actually look out your window one day and you see the star? I think for a lot of us, we would think, well, that isn't really that much to go on. Like, and is that star or that light, is it actually related to that prophecy? I mean, maybe you might think it's all a bit unclear. Think about it. It was a massive leap of faith to pack everything up and go. But despite it being still a bit unclear, they go. And for some of you in this room, God is sending you a star. He's sending you a sign. And maybe you've got this feeling lately over the last couple of months, or maybe it's just last year, that God has been trying to get your attention. And maybe it doesn't even feel like you have a whole lot to go on right now, but it's something. Maybe there have been a number of moments in your life lately that have felt honestly just like coincidence. But maybe there's so many, but maybe there's something to it that makes it that that's not random. And maybe you've been thinking over the last couple of weeks about God more and more, and then a friend randomly invited you to the service. Right? Maybe lately your thoughts have even been turning to God. You're just driving around or out for a walk, and you look at it's just the beautiful earth that we have, and you think, how did this just get here? How do I exist? Okay, when those things happen, that is God speaking to your mind, speaking to your heart, sending you a star, sending you a sign. And hear me, in those moments, wise women and wise men still seek him today. That's what we do. Because, okay, if God is real, if eternity, I'm talking forever, is real, and you're going to live beyond this life, For millions and billions of years, a wise person is the type of person that wants to know the answer to that, right? If there are trillions more years after this, it is unwise to say, it doesn't matter to me what happens, right? Wisdom dictates that you want to know the truth on such a situation. And you got to start seeking, even if, like the original wise men, it's a bit unclear at first. You just got to take the first step. Okay, that's the first piece of advice I want to give to you. Here's the, here's the second, when God's trying to get your attention. Number two, you want to follow 
even if it's hard. Okay, if you think about it, it wasn't just that the wise men didn't have all the facts, right, when they set out on their journey. It was that they were setting out on an arduous and a very difficult journey. This wasn't like taking a nice flight to the beach in Florida, right? Their journey from Persia is going to take them an extremely long time. And let me, let me explain this to you uh, biblically, but I, I have to warn you, and I'm so sorry. I just, I'm apologizing again. I'm going to ruin your nativity scene for the second time this afternoon because Matthew chapter 2 tells us that the wise men didn't actually come at Jesus' birth. They weren't even there at the manger. So the 50 wise men that you just added, delete them out of your cart. They can't, they're not there, okay? So verse 7 in our passage, it implies that the wise men left home in Persia when the star appeared, which was when Jesus was born. And actually, take, I want to show you something. Look at verse 11. So if you still have it open, right at the beginning of verse 11, <clears throat> what does it say? It says, on coming to the house they saw where the child was okay so this is not a stable scene and we don't have an infant any longer actually the biggest crew clue that they came much later is actually later on in the chapter if you were to keep reading eventually you would get to verse 16 and you would see that king herod whom history tells us was kind of a homicidal maniac i mean he killed a bunch of his sons to protect his throne guy was totally crazy that he actually had men go to the city of Bethlehem and he had every boy in the city two years and under killed because he didn't want anybody coming for his throne, right? Now, thankfully, Jesus' family escapes, right? But the fact that Herod killed every boy two and under shows us that the wise men weren't there at Jesus' birth. And it also tells us how long their journey would have been if they left home at his birth, right? But they were willing to seek God even if it was hard, even if it took a long time. And I think for a lot of us, the second point about seeking God, even if it's hard. I think for a lot of us, that stops us, right? I think many people think, okay, if I'm actually going to follow Jesus, or maybe, I, maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church, and you're thinking, i gotta, I got to get back to this. I think for a lot of us, the reason that we don't is we just sort of intuitively know it's going to be hard. Like, for starters, what will people say about us? Like, if you... Like, if you were to get serious about seeking God again, what would people say? You know, personally, I, di I didn't grow up in a Christian family. And I remember when I was 18 years old, I thought, I need to, like, seek this out for myself. And so I started to read the Bible, because I'd never actually read it myself. And I would literally, <coughs> excuse me, I would literally go into my room, and I would lock the door, because I didn't want anybody to see me reading the Bible. And I would just begin to investigate. And I remember a couple of months in thinking, like, am I really going to do this? Like, am I going to transition from being the guy that makes fun of the Christians in my class to actually becoming a Christian? You know, I think other people say, well, if I was to get serious about God, if I was to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that may mean that I have to give up X, Y, or Z. And I don't know if I really want to do that. And I would say, yeah, you might have to. And that's because God is holy, 
and he has called us to be holy. But the Bible also says that God is a good father. And so he's going to ask you to walk on a path like a good father, a path that he knows is best for you. And listen, Jesus tells us in the scriptures that whatever you gain in return is a million times better than anything you give up. What you gain in a relationship with him is certainly what you gain in eternal life. And that is why wise women and wise men still seek him, even today. And listen, the best things in life are hard, right? You know this. Now, many of you, you went, you went to school, for instance, for a long time, and it was not easy. And why did you do it? You did it because you knew you could benefit from it, right? Where you worked hard at starting a business or a new job or a new relationship. Wise people do not judge the worth of something based on whether it's hard or not. They judge the worth of something based on whether it's true and what its reward is, right? And the reward of eternal life is unparalleled. Now, let me give you a third piece of advice, and this one is going to feel really counterintuitive, so let me, let me work it out. Number three, when God sends you a star, God sends you a sign, you want to follow even if it's not hard. Okay, let me, let me explain. Now, the Bible is an amazing book, and it's so rich with meaning. Really, one of the great contrasts that you just can't miss when you study the story is the fact that the wise men, they embark on this journey with not a lot of information, right? And they got to go on this 6, 12, who knows how long, 18-month-long journey through difficult terrain. And all of that is in contrast to the religious leaders in Jerusalem who had all the information and they didn't do anything with it, Right? Like, this is verses 4 and 5. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, they knew that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. You know how far away Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Six miles. That's like a a two-and-a-half-hour walk. Not a 12-month journey. You'd think that when the Magi come in from Persia and they say, Hey, we've seen the star." That means the Messiah is here. Can you tell us where he is? I mean, you'd think that these religious people would be like, oh, oh man, I'm going to get my kids. We're going to Bethlehem. This is going to be, let's go. And they don't do anything. Think about that. None of them go. Isn't that weird? None of them go. Why? It's because for them it was just a religion. Okay? It was just information that it never actually moved from their head to their heart. And I think that very fact is true for a lot of people in America. I mean, think about it. Most people in our country know something intellectually or factually about Jesus, right? They maybe even believe that he's God's son, but it tends to just sort of stop there, right? And the information doesn't move any further than that. It just sort of tends to stay in Jerusalem, and we never actually go out to look and seek for the Messiah in Bethlehem. Why? I mean, there are probably a million reasons, but I think one of them is we're so familiar with the story here in America that I think we stop seeing the beauty of it. I was talking the other day 
with one of my, one of my friends, a guy named Mark Waters. I've spoken here many times, and uh, he works for a ministry called Pulse, and he, he was just telling me that they were in Costa Rica a couple of weeks ago, and they were putting on this huge outreach where they're expecting thousands and thousands of people to come hear about Jesus. And he said, it just rained all day, and the outreach was that night, and they were thinking, nobody's going to come. There's going to be no, it's just pouring. And there was time for the outreach where they were going to be sharing about who this Jesus is, and he said, 50,000 Costa Ricans showed up and they sat there in the pouring rain, drenched to hear about the God who loves and the God who forgives. Now, sometimes I think we can just get so close to the message that we don't see how beautiful it is anymore. It reminds me of the old Christmas movie with Nicolas Cage. I don't know if I ever mentioned Nicolas Cage in a message before. This is going to be incredible. <laughs> The Family Man. Anybody remember this movie? Okay, if you haven't, this is probably what you're watching tonight. Okay. <laughs> if you don't remember it, Nicolas Cage is, in the movie, starts off, and he's like this lonely, miserable bachelor who's just consumed with his work, right? But then it's sort of like Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Cage is miraculously transported to a different possible version of his life where he wakes up the next day, and all of a sudden, he's married with two kids to the girl that he was in love with 13 years ago that got away. And in the movie, one night, he's just staring at this girl that he's now married to, right? And he's just thinking about how beautiful she is. And there's this great line in the movie where she, she looks back at him and she says, how can you do that? How can you look at me like you haven't seen me every day for the past 13 years? And I think it's a great thought because I think just like those religious leaders just sitting there in Jerusalem, here in America, I think we're so close to this message of Jesus that we're not looking at it with fresh eyes anymore. We're not seeing how remarkable it is, how beautiful it is. And so would you look at this message with me again, with fresh eyes? Listen, if there's even a chance that this is true, and eternity, that means forever, in heaven or in hell, is at stake. Wisdom says that we've got to seek the truth on this. Like, you don't want to die and meet God someday and have God say, you were so close. Like, the answer to salvation was right. I mean, it was like the proverbial six miles away. And you didn't go. I mean, listen, if you knew the Messiah was six miles away, like in Coon Rapids, <laughs> would you go? Like, if you knew the answers about God were in this book, would you read it yourself? Why not? Right? In fact, if you've never actually done that, and actually most Americans haven't, we have a lot of opinions about the Bible, I've never actually read it. If you've never actually done that, one of the things I want you to do today is that Bible you're holding, I want you to take it with you. Okay, that's our Christmas gift to you. And just start reading the same book that we're reading, the book of Matthew. Why not? What's it going to hurt? Just investigate who he really is. But look closely with fresh eyes at this story again. Because this is the story. There is a God who loves you. You. 
He's seen everything you've ever done, even that, and he still loves you. In fact, it says he loves you so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And he's dying because we deserve God's justice for our sins, because we've sinned against a holy God. But God loves you so much, like I said, that he was willing to let his own son, Jesus, take the punishment that you deserve. So when Jesus is up on the cross, that's what's happening. He's taking your punishment off of you and onto him so that God will look at you and say, no, you're not guilty, you're forgiven. I want you to come into heaven for all of eternity because you have let that punishment go on my son. That's, I mean, if you, if you had never heard that before, that is beautiful. It is absolutely remarkable. And you can have that. For some of you, I think God's been sort of leading you to this moment over the last couple of months, just doing things in your life where he's just saying, come, come to this, come home, come to salvation, come to me, start walking with me. And maybe he's even been doing it in your life this afternoon, I don't know. But I want to give you an opportunity because it is a decision. The Bible says we're forgiven when we believe in faith. You don't earn your way to God. You believe in faith. That's how you're forgiven. And I want to give you an opportunity, even this afternoon at a Christmas service, to say, I believe that. I I want to be forgiven. I want to start walking with God. And I want eternal life in heaven. In fact, to give you that opportunity, let's just, for the next minute, would everybody all around the room, would you actually just bow your head and just close your eyes just for a minute? Because I I want this to be a, a personal decision between you and God. And so if you need to make this decision for the first time, to receive Jesus as your Savior, to say, I want to seek you, I want you in my life, to ask him to take your sins upon himself and to come in and be the leader of your life. If that's you, in just a second, in a minute or so, I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand. You don't have to do it yet, and don't think about anybody looking at you. That's everybody just close their eyes, okay? But sometimes I just think we need a moment because it's an action of faith. It's sort of like opening a Christmas gift. Jesus has laid this gift out in front of you, and you've got to decide, do I want to open this? Do I want this forgiveness? Do I want to turn my life over to him? And I pray that you do, my friend. It is the most important decision that you can make. It is a decision that will not only change your life here and now, but change your life forever. It is the decision of life. And if you want to open that gift to be forgiven and start walking with him today, and you've never made this decision before, what I want you to do is actually just to raise your hand up to God right now and say, that's me. I want this, God. Forgive me. If you need to do that, would you just raise your hand up right now? Go ahead. All right. Amen. Anyone else? Just raise your hand up to him and say, yeah, it's, it's me, God. I trust in you. I need to give my life to you. Amen. Anyone else? I'll just give you another five or ten seconds. If you just know, I need this. I got to... I got to stop running. I got to turn my life over to him. He's why I even am breathing right now. Would you raise your hand up to him? All right. Amen. All right. You can put your hands down for the, for those of you and keep your eyes closed. For those of you that've raised your hands, we want to pray with you. 
The Bible says that when you get to this point in your life that we believe in our hearts, but we also confess with our mouths. So I'm just going to pray a prayer. It's not a magic prayer, but it's just a prayer for you to tell God what's going on in your life. So I want you to just repeat this after me. Whether you just raise your hand and you're saying, I want this for the first time, or you've believed this much of your life, would you just repeat this out loud after me? Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen.